You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Take the Black Live, the weekly show where Cheryl Watson, our culturist, and I, Dennis Winners Coming.net, discuss the latest happenings in the world of Game of Thrones, talk about some fire fantasy fiction, today, beer. Uh, we are. Oh, point. Hi, everybody. I said a bunch of stuff. How are you? Uh, I'm Dan Selke. I run Winners Coming. I'm here with Cheryl Watson, our culturist, and we are going to talk about everything latest news in the world of Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire, fantasy, and today, beer. Hey, Lisa. Uh, hey, Dar, uh, Delario, Kenny, Kim, Julie Davies, everybody, glad you could join us. Today we are joined by, uh, our good friend, Alcohol. We got this bottle of Mother of Dragon Ale from our good friends at HBO and Brewery Omgang. This is on the ship store shelves now. Uh, Brewery Omgang does this, they're making this series of beers, each one based on a different Game of Thrones character. I think this is the second to last based on an Aeros Targaryen, of course. It is a smoked porter and creek ale blend. Cheryl, how does how does that shake down uh, in practice? It is very beer. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, right. that's probably not the greatest descriptor of it, but it is very beer. Both you and I have both said it looks like Coke and has totally. kind of a metal-y tang to it. And I'm not opposed to the metal tang. I think that might be part of the smoking... There's some, yeah, 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 yeah. There's some smoke stuff in there. It's kind of a fruity thing too. I can taste it. Yeah, it's it's kind of funky town, but it's growing on me. I'm enjoying it. Tony Culp says tastes like chicken, probably, and I agree with that. And yes, Julie says great label. Totally agree. This this is a cool bottle. This is my favorite bottle they've had so far. It's extremely classy. Maybe not my favorite tasting beer they've had so far, but it's mm. pretty cool. Maroon's a good color. It maroon is. pink, whatever this you're gonna call this fuchsia. No, it's more of a maroon. Okay. Perhaps a crimson, if but you yes. will. A crimson. I love crimson. Yeah. It is out in store shelves now if you're interested. All right, everybody. Thanks for coming to the Game of Thrones talk show. We're going to start this off with a little preview. We do have a giveaway to do today. Every once in a while, we do these giveaways, giveaway Game of Thrones swag for you. Mm-hmm. This is one is Halloween-themed, of course. It's coming around the corner. Halloween, October 31st. Spooktacular, spooky, fun, all that good stuff. And we, thanks to our friends at Fun.com, are giving away your selection of Game of Thrones costumes and masks, of which these four are only a small bit. 
There's a ton for you to choose from at fun.com. Be Daenerys, be Jon Snow, be Jamie, be Cersei. There's like a giant Viserion mask that costs like $250. That's just like a huge thing on your head. And any of those can be yours. J- Julie, Julie thinks it's burgundy, by the way. Uh, the beer color. Uh, that's not a bad... Uh, burgundy seems fair. I want to say fuchsia. But anyway, I'm getting off track. No, it's not fuchsia. Um, the way the giveaways work is... I'm going to look that up later. Is uh, a little later in the show, I'm going to ask a trivia question to y'all. And uh, about Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire. The first person to email me with the correct answer gets their pick of costumes. That's extremely fancy. I think so. And we'll get to that a little later in the show. And uh, Tony wants Drogo Kush. Is that a costume or a beer? What do you mean, Tony? What is Drogo Kush? Tell me that a little later. You know what? I don't want to know just yet. Let's talk about... <laughs> and Julia says we do giveaways just to upset me. Uh, we don't. And we actually have a giveaway coming up that's going to be everywhere, I swear. This fun.com one is once more uh, US only because fun.com, that's just the way they work. And thank yeah, you for Okay. Unfortunately. Let's get to the news, Cheryl. The Game of Thrones, Song of Ice and Fire news. My favorite, Dan. <laughs> and Tony says it's about you. Eh, I can't decode this Drogo Kush thing. Maybe anyway. after more beer. Yeah, it's a good idea. Let's try that. Valor Morghulis. Valor Morghulis. Valor to Hyrus, sorry. Still Melody. not working. Let's talk about the news. <laughs> it doesn't quite work, does it? <laughs> okay. So, the first bit of news we're going to talk about today is some good news about the final season of Game of Thrones. Probably all have heard about this a little bit. Is that uh, in an interview with the Huffington Post, special effects supervisor Joe Bauer was asked about Ghost, everyone's favorite direwolf, Jon Snow's loyal pet slash companion slash assistant slash helper. And um, just basically confirmed he's coming back. He wasn't in season seven at all. Hallelujah. But Joe Bauer said that you'll see him again. He has a fair amount of screen time in season eight. Ghost does show up. And he does some... He's very present and does some pretty cool things in season eight. I like that. Kind of like he almost said something more, but he kind of pulled back. Like a good Game of Thrones crew member should. Ghost gets to disembowel someone. Like, just go for it. If you got the CGI budget, I want a dire wolf to go full dire wolf on the battlefield and, like, disembowel something. I mean, on the final season, they have to give yeah. something yeah. about Ghost. Well, I'm, I'm sure it'll be fun. Mm-hmm. I mean, honest to God, like, I, I, I was thinking about it. I thought all the hubbub about, where's Ghost in season seven? Where's, is, this is too much. I'm like, come on, people. It's not like... He's not in the he's not in season seven. It's fine. He wasn't needed. I guess was my reaction to that. I thought maybe he was overblown a bit, but of course I'm happy to see him. Why yeah. not? I feel like Ghost is a good <laughs> emblematic kind of animal companion anyway, and so I was sad that he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. But now that I hear that he gets to do fun, exciting things in season eight, I'm I'm happy again. So I'll right. take it. Just really quick update on the Drogo Kush question. You need an empty cigar for Drogo Kush. Such a mystery. Okay. And Michelle says that they better not kill Ghost. <laughs> what, 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 what's happening? I think, I think I figured it out. Have you? What is it? It's smoking of some kind. Oh, okay. Yeah, we, uh, we, we haven't done that yet. Yeah, we don't. Sorry. Um, Ghost, dead. He's probably a good candidate. Someone who's been around since the beginning and uh, likable. You gotta kill the pet if you want sympathy in a movie or TV show. That happens a lot. 
Okay, but if you kill Ghost, mm-hmm. we riot at dawn. Eh, I call bullshit on that one. I think you're bluffing. I riot at dawn. Okay, fine. I will take to Twitter and I will be angry. You at know those what? Guys. Well, I'm calling a moratorium on that phrase. Like, if blank happens, we riot. You're not going to riot. Who do you think you are? You're not going to riot. Have you met me, Dan Selke? Yeah. You're going to get a brick and throw it through a window? You're not going to do that. I mean, no. That's not the kind of rioting I'm talking about, okay? Do you mean... I'm, I'm talking about verbal do rioting. Do you mean composing strongly worded Twitter tweets? No. Probably writing strongly worded cultures posts. Gotcha. I think that devalues the definition of the word riot. Which of us has the degree in English, Dan? Uh, you have the degree in English. There we go. Okay. That doesn't make you an authority. Absolutely. It makes me more of an authority than you. Cheers. If you don't get a brick and torch a building on fire after a ghost dies in season eight, you will not have rioted. What if I send gifs of brick throwing and setting things on fire? That is a nice compromise, actually. Okay, I'll accept that. See, we're resolving conflicts right on live uh, web shows. Exactly. Great job, everyone. All right. Moving on. Moving on, yeah. Uh, so Ghost is back. It's fun. That, that, that'll be nice. It's a good thing. Um, let's do some good news and some bad news. Okay. On the less good side, we had yet another Game of Thrones cast member come out and say something a little alarming, I think, about uh, the ending of the show, mm. which is kind of becoming a pattern, right? I feel like we've, we've had this discussion before a couple of times where different cast members come out and they say something, in this case, like this. Uh, Sophie Turner talked to IGN and said, I think a lot of fans will be disappointed and a lot of fans will be over the moon i think i think it'll be really interesting to see people's reactions but for me reading the script it was just heartbreaking to read the very final page of the script it says and game of thrones it was very emotional so it was satisfying for her satisfying to play it but again this the 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 takeaway from that is some people disappointed some will be over the moon divisive is the word i think that came up in this and th- this echoes what a lot of people have said. Like, a lot of different people, like, from Ian Glenn to Kit Harrington to Sophie Turner a couple times. I think Maisie Williams have said things like, the ending a, is, is a lot, guys. It's going to, going to be intriguing. Um, sh- sh- should we be nervous, Cheryl, about all this uh, buttering up? I don't think we should, necessarily. And <laughs> I feel like the reason why is because you can't, please everyone at this point game of thrones is too large of a show that's a very good point um to be able to create something that everyone is going to love i mean look at the last jedi like reviews for that if there was ever a thing that was divisive yeah although that new study came out and apparently it turns out not all of the anti-last jedi tweets were from legitimate sources but anyway that aside it it I don't think it should be concerning because I don't think that there is even really an ending I can think of that would satisfy everyone to Game of Thrones. That's a very good point. It is kind of that sprawling a show. It's it's hard to conceive of something that would please everybody. I mean, even when you and I talk about Game of Thrones ending, we have some things that are similar in what we want and don't want. That's good. But we also disagree on other things that we would like to see or don't want to see. Like, I know you want an epilogue, and I'm just like, no, please, (laughs) not 30 minutes of whatever the Game of Thrones equivalent to Aragorn singing is. (laughs) Um, And so I think 
that might be what they're trying to prep for more than the ending is just going to be so much and so terrible. That's a really good point, actually. I like that a lot. That actually comforts me a bit. I don't know. I, I just feel like they've all been saying to the point where uh, there's got to be something in there that struck a chord with people. And I mean, there have been shows that have been universally praised for their endings. Like, everybody raves about Six Feet Under ending. You ever see that? That's a pretty good ending. Everybody loves the MASH ending. That goes down in history of, like, it's a great, great ending. I never saw The Leftovers. People seem to like that ending a lot. Uh, that kind of thing. And um, maybe it's too much to hope that we could all get a universally praised ending. And I, I mean, th- there are divisive endings in shows that I like. I enjoyed the Twin Peaks ending, as weird as it was. Um, some people love the Sopranos ending, although that one's still contentious to this day. I'm just, I'm just trying to picture. Uh, I, I just want reassurance that all the some people will love it, some people will hate it. Talk isn't code for it's gonna suck. I don't think it's code for it's gonna suck at this point. Okay. I'm, I'm not concerned. I'm intrigued, <laughs> but not concerned. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not at like DefCon one or whatever. I'm on like DefCon like. Like I'm not okay. Defcon, Defcon two and a half. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not freaking out yet. I don't. I don't think there's really a necessity of freaking out. I think it, based on how close everyone is emotionally to the show, um, things are going to strike a chord with them and with mm-hmm. us because we've been on this journey for yeah. the same amount of time. Journey. But I don't think that that means that you know Dave Benioff and Dan Weiss have completely lost their mind. So I'm not going to be that concerned yet. They still want to win a pile of Emmys, so they can't turn out trash. <laughs> Nothing they can do will stop that from happening. What? Don't tempt fate like that, Dan. <laughs> I would like to see what they could do to stop that from happening. Put it that way. Oh boy. Uh, Michelle asks: Is there truth to the multiple? End- is there truth to multiple endings being shot? Don't want to keep it a secret. Um, that's a good question. We've had varying reports on that. I'm not really sure. Yeah. How about this idea? How about the ending is a little like uh, the end of the movie Clue starring Tim Curry where they have like three different endings. Just just let let, let you choose your favorite. True ending. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, I actually really like Clue, so I'd be into that. Um, but I, I don't think that they're going to pull that off either. I think they're going to go for something that's very concrete and defined for the world of Game of Thrones. Julie asks, why does Dan Weiss go by DB? I have no idea. I've always wondered that. I just call him Dan Weiss, but that's another question. Maybe there day. was another Dan Weiss registered? <laughs> in, like, the guild or whatever he belongs to? That's possible. I, I really have no idea. That's why Michael J. That's Fox has thing. the J in his name, I think. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. All right. Sorry. No, no. Continuing this, on. this is good. This is fun facts. The trivia tip. All right. Let's go for a minute beyond the wall and talk about something other than Game of Thrones. Because we, like we love Game of Thrones here, obviously. But we also like... Uh, you know, other fancy sci-fi stuff or other things that don't affect fancy sci-fi at all. We'll stick to that. Don't worry. Okay. The beer's getting to me a little bit. There's a report. Today we actually learned that another uh, monolithic important fantasy property is going to be adapted by Netflix into a sprawling Marvel Cinematic Universe-like series of movies and TV shows. That's a new wrinkle, by the way. I read that in Deadline. Uh, the Chronicles of Narnia has been... Netflix has gotten the right to that beloved fantasy series about four children who stumble into a magic world in their closet and uh, get to know a lion who is also Jesus and go on adventures throughout this fantasy realm for seven books. They're going to adapt it on Netflix as a series of 
TV shows, movies, just they're going all in on this kind of thing. Uh, which I, I think is very much related to Game of Thrones, by the way, because this week was like Amazon's doing the Wheel of Time, and now Netflix doing Chronicles of Narnia. You know they're all prepping their post-Game of Thrones explosive fantasy uh, franchise properties. What do you think of this, Cheryl, of Chronicles of Narnia being adapted by Netflix into this, uh, into this ubermensch of a series? I feel like my face says it all. But for those of us who are listening to our podcast, which you can subscribe <laughs> to on iTunes and wherever and else Google you get, Play. and Google Play and wherever else you get to your podcasts, <sighs> pick another fantasy series for the love of all that is good in this world. I really don't like the Chronicles of Narnia. No, not a Narnia fan. No, 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 no. Um, one of the big things that is becoming more and more apparent to me as Netflix, Amazon, so on and so forth, pick all of their fantasy series is they're picking these long running HBO two, these long running, big sprawling epics that are all written it's by true. mostly dead white men, with the exception of George. So R. far, R. it checks out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and, and a the live Witcher. white man. And 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 the Witcher. Oh God, that Witcher guy! I'll tell you, he's a, he's in something else. But go on, yeah. The story. It, and it seems kind of licensed to come up with the kind of the most boring the fantasy series. Like there, I'm not saying that the Chronicles of Narnia is a bad series. I just personally don't like it. Um, Renee does ask why. Why I don't like the Chronicles of Narnia. Um, in a nutshell. In a nutshell. Uh, because C.S. Lewis isn't that great of a writer. Um, especially in fantasy. And uh, <laughs> the smile makes it better, right? Um, but yeah, C.S. Lewis is not... His style just doesn't appeal to me. I don't like yeah, how he enough. treats characters like Susan and Lucy. And, you know... I'm trying to remember. The, the, Jesus, the, the Christ allegory... It, doesn't do it for you? Sure. No. <laughs> like... It's a really common allegory in a lot of literature, but it's just it so is. overblown I mean, in this one. I, I, I'm assuming they will secularize it a bit for you mass consumption. You can't really secularize it too much. It's too it's too much in, especially. But like like you said, like Jesus algorithms show up all over fiction. Like yeah. the Matrix isn't a Bible allegory, but it still has a guy who dies and comes back to life. I mean Game of Thrones isn't a Bible allegory. So it's a guy who dies comes back to life. I mean, I, I think you can still have a resurrection and not infuse it with uh, the Christian angle it's, over it's, much. It, it's beyond just the resurrection for Aslan, though. Like, that should be a discussion we have at later periods. Why are you laughing? Did somebody... Oh, just uh, Corey Thone says Game of Thrones literally has resurrections, which was my point. Yeah, but it, it's not necessarily just a, re a resurrection that makes a Christ allegory. And this is not Cheryl's uh, literary theory hour. Um, <laughs> would be cool if it was. It would, wouldn't it though? Um, I would enjoy it. Um, but it, it's more than just that in Aslan's DNA as a character. So I don't think it's really possible to strip Fair the enough. entire Christ allegory out of it. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of as it's, it's boring as white bread fantasy as you can possibly get. I mean, we're in a we're in a period where TV is daring to do things that it hasn't before. That's true. 
and y'all are just gonna pick this boring series that Disney already tried to do something with and failed pretty well. So it didn't turn out too well for them, did it? No. We will, we'll stop the discussion about this. We won't go too much longer. But even no. interesting, I mean, Disney was gonna film a fourth movie, and I think this deal actually undercut it. So now they're not gonna do that anymore. Is my implication what I've been hearing? Makes sense. Um, I mean, if, if I have any problem with it, it's just the kind of the, what we're looking at, a big saturation of, like you said, big epic fantasy stuff between mm -hmm. the Wheel of Time and the Lord of the Rings series and Narnia and The Witcher, maybe also kind of, and King Killer Chronicle. Like, they're all coming at once, and they are all sounding, they'll be different, of course, uh, but, but they're all kind of in the same oeuvre. Although, like we said, I mean, it, it sounds like Renee also enjoys Narnia. A, a lot of people do love Chronicles of Narnia. I read them when I was a kid. I enjoyed them well enough. Uh, I'm not sure. Also, the thing about, like, it's not just TV shows movies. It's a, it's a MCU-like extended universe of movies and TV. That, that gives me a little more pause, too, because I'm not sure how many of those I have the stomach for. I can't roll my eyes hard enough for it. Go on. <laughs> but uh, that's what's happening, and we will definitely cover it at WIC, because that's right up our... Uh, fantasy sci-fi alley. It is a, a booming time for people who enjoy this kind of stuff. It's true. That's fair. But yeah, I'm not going to be... Nope. Nope. That's a no from me, guys. But let's get to something more positive, shall we, Dan? All right. Uh, one thing we can do positive... Oh, let's uh, give away some costumes and masks. All right. Welcome back to the Winter is Coming Game of Thrones Halloween giveaway, where one lucky winner will get to choose their pick of Game of Thrones costumes or masks, courtesy of fun.com. Here's the way it works. I'll be you if you've been there before. I'm going to ask a trivia question about Game of Thrones Song by Sun Fire. Um, you are going to email your answers to dan.selkie at winteriscoming.net, available on your screen right there. You can see it in all its glory. The first person to email me the correct answer gets to pick anything they want from fun.com's expansive stash of uh, Game of Thrones goodies. Which costume would you pick, Dan? Probably the Viserion head. It's nice. like I saw it's this huge thing and it's nice. the most expensive. And it's uh <laughs> it's this like just gigantic dragon head that goes on your face. Maybe. And it it looks very structured and it, it's it's not like a mask. It's not like a person mask. It's a, it's a giant monstrosity of a mask. That would be my pick. It's glorious. Or the Cersei death costume, obviously. I mean, yeah, I would yeah. pick the Cersei costume. Well, sure. That'd be, I, a, that'd be a second choice. I look, I look good in black. All right. So what is the question this okay, time? Okay, trivia question. Is, I think, a little hard, but um, I'll, I'll say this. Your instinct is probably correct on it. Okay. Can't confirm. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> during... Joffrey Baratheon's wedding to Marjorie Tyrell. What kind of pie was served at Joffrey and Marjorie's wedding? They roll out this giant pie. Joffrey cuts it with his Valyrian steel sword. It's a huge pie. It's a big deal. What kind of pie was it? This pie shows up all over A Song of Ice and Fire, by the way. Like, a lot of people make this kind of pie. It's like the only pie they know how to make in Westeros. But the by far the biggest... Example of it kind of stealing the spotlight is at Marjorie and Joffrey's wedding. What kind of pie is served at Marjorie and Joffrey's wedding? The same one that Joffrey cuts with his Valyrian steel sword. It's a big deal. They spend hours baking. It's a whole big thing. Email your answer. <laughs> Corey Thone says, Rhubarb. Uh, email your answer to dan.selkie at winteriscoming.net. And you could be the person to uh, 
get us like to Game of Thrones costume and mask time for Halloween. Wonderful. Good luck, everyone. Only people in the U.S. only. I'm very sorry, Julie. I, I, I really am. And to other people. We are having a giveaway hopefully soon. That will not be that. And over at Wick Club, uh, our giveaways are never bounded by the petty restrictions of political borders that are imposed on us. Uh, Stick it to the haters. man. Yeah, exactly. Wick Club, by the way, is a thing we're doing where uh, you sign up for Patreon. We produce extra content, extra episodes of this show, extra columns, giveaways, stickers, T-shirts, a live stream where I get drunk. I do this too much. Do I have a problem? Um, live for you all in a very intimate setting. And uh, we have an ad for you right now. Fancy. I'll see you all next week, guys. All right. Adios. <laughs> oh, Ned Stark. Will you ever learn? No, oh, sorry, I didn't see you there. I'm Dan Selke, the editor at WinnerIsComing.net, your one-stop shop for all things Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, and genre fiction in general. We here at Wick love bringing you news, reviews, and editorial content, and we're gonna keep doing all that stuff. However, for the especially hardcore among you, we're gonna start offering even more. Welcome to the Wick Club. The Wick Club is a Patreon-funded effort to provide fantasy and sci-fi fans with even more Wick content. You can join at several levels. For $1 a month, you can enter into monthly swag giveaways and get to read extra columns. At $4, you'll get to watch extra episodes of Take the Black Live, our weekly chat show, with topics chosen by you. Please be gentle. And at the Valyrian Steel level, that's $10 a month, you get Wick Club t-shirts and access to a new segment we're calling Drinking and Knowing Things, a monthly live stream where I drink wine and talk with all of you in a free-flowing conversation about Game of Thrones, fantasy, sci-fi, and whatever else comes up after I've had a few. Just to be clear, we're not gonna stop doing anything in WIC we already do, and we're hoping to add more stuff anyway. The WIC Club is a way to produce even more content and hopefully to get to know some of you better. You can find links to more information below. We hope to see you in the WIC Clubhouse. Valimur Gulas, bottoms up, and thanks for watching. Welcome back. That's a Wit Club advertisement. I recommend you all go check it out for uh, more episodes of this, more columns, more of me, drinky drinky, and more fun stuff like that. But we are here right now with uh, Josh Hill yeah. of Fansided to for a oh. weekly segment, A Song of Dan and Josh. Yeah. It's been a while since we did this, it feels like. It's been a while. You went to, you left the country. I did. And, and then, then last week we took it off for um, we had company fun reasons. Yeah. But now we're back. Now we're the series back. where Josh and I walk through every chapter of A Song of Ice and Fire, written by George R. R. Martin, peeling each apart, see what makes them tick, what makes them work. Is everything, does everything work? And today we are on Bran <laughs> 7 from uh, A Game of Thrones, first book yeah. of the series. The chapter immediately after Arya 5, where Ned Stark is executed yep. in King's Landing. This is the follow-up. This is the come down. This is kind of give you a little break after mm -hmm. that intense thing. And uh, Glenda says, hey, Josh. So does Linda. So does Julie. Glenda, Linda, Julie. Hello. What, what do we have here? What is this? The smoked porter? This is the Mother of Dragons smoked porter and right. creek ale blend. Probably saying that wrong. Mm, and Tony, good. I found out what Kush was, you and I appreciate your comments. <laughs> It sat now down I during like, the advertisement. And now I seem like more of a square than usual. Yes, we gave Dan an education in Kush. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, Brand 7. Yeah. So, 
I, one of my questions to you is like, I, I wonder if we lose something by doing it one chapter at a time, because this chapter not a whole lot happened. Mm -hmm. um, I think I think I, like when I read it in isolation, it was a little dry. Just it was a lot of exposition about stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I think it would work better if it came right after the huge emotional high of Ned Stark getting executed. Because this chapter to me, when I like broke it down, was it's Bran Stark talking about the history of the Starks. Yep. Bran Stark talking about the history, the, the children of the forest. Mm -hmm. And then they do, I mean, there is some action, but mostly it's, uh, to me, mostly this chapter is George R. R. Martin giving us history lessons. Yeah. How, how did they come across to you? What did take away from this chapter? I mean, there, there was a lot of exposition in here. Uh, world building, he likes to do this. He likes to give us this world that he's created in almost a forcing it down our throats way, but not a forcing <laughs> it down our throats way. Because basically the entire chapter exists. I'm imagining Bran walking around pointing at things, even though his legs don't work, so he's not doing that. And he's being carried around yeah. stuff. But I, yeah, I agree. Like the, you're really setting up the Starks, the mythology of the Starks. Yeah, it's a, it's a mythology heavy chapter. Yeah. So then, if this would have been before the chapter that Ned dies, I feel like it would have been even more effective because you're setting this Ooh. all up. You're setting up this mythology of the Starks. You're clearly then re fortifying the idea that Ned is a main character. He's a guy who's going to be around because clearly we just spent this whole chapter talking about how important his he family is. and stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. his family. But that's the thing. That's the thing. Then the twist would be it's not just Ned. It's the family. It's the blood of the Starks. It's not just who are all very much alive, or a lot of them are exactly. So I feel like maybe if this would have come before the Ned chapter, it would have been a little more effective. <laughs> but it wasn't ineffective in that it got across this. It, it, it was a lot of explaining, like almost he was pointing at a map or he was like writing on a chalkboard. He's like, "This is the family tree," and blah 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 blah. blah. So I mean, basically, like the, the skeleton. Of, and by the way, yeah, in the comments, <laughs> people ask. Someone's like putting mad faces on all the comments. I have no idea who's doing it. Um, <laughs> how curious! I'm Russian sorry, trolls. everybody. <laughs> it might be the Russian the trolls. Russians. Yes, who uh, apparently are responsible for people not enjoying the Last Jedi. Did you know that? Yeah, it's true. Apparently, okay. they, they don't want people to enjoy uh, take the black, but people enjoy take the black. So. You can't stop us. <laughs> Yeah, but the skeleton of this chapter is uh, Brands at Winterfell, yep. and he gets a premonition mm -hmm. that his father is in the crypts, uh, in his crypt, mm -hmm. where they all where they carve out their, you know, their tombstones and their yeah. crypts ahead of time because they're that kind of morbid people. Mm -hmm. And he's like, I want to go down there. <laughs> and Maester Lewin, who I think deserves so much credit, because he is here and he, the, 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 he's 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 basically become the father of Bran and Rickon, yeah. whose parents are away. And he's got the one kid who's telling him, I have prophetic dreams and I need to, I need to go down to the crypt now. Mm. Look at my dead dad. <laughs> and the other kid is like kind of a bloodthirsty little weirdo who has a really yeah. angry wolf who bites people. And he's, I, he's a saint. I'm reading this back and Mason Lewin is a saint. Mm. He is so patient with these kids, these crazy kids. And so they take Bran down to the crypts and uh, they walk him down to Ned Stark's tomb. And the walk throughout the whole thing, he tells us about the Starks, their history. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's, it's almost silly and absurd almost to the point like how much he describes. Like he has this big passage where he's talking about all the dead Starks and mm -hmm. there's Bran the shipwright and Bran the burner. And he even says like, not me, another Bran, my father's brother. And I'm just like, it's, it's almost like purposefully confusing that he, that he names so many important characters Bran. Mm -hmm. And uh, George R. Martin has said he, he does that because in actual history, if you looked at English history, 
like all the kings are named the same thing over and over and over because that's just what you do. Yeah. And uh, my question for you in that case is, is, is that admirable then to stick to that naming <laughs> convention because it's historically accurate? Or is it like, just call them different names because it's confusing because they all have the same name. It's hard to differentiate them apart. Well, at some point, George R. R. Martin's going to run out of names or creative <laughs> names to come up will with. Not. So, um, no, I, I did 26 have 26 letters, though. infinite possibilities. It's true. Uh, I did have a thought, though, because you mentioned The Matrix earlier, too. Uh, like, Bran, like, there's so many different versions of Neo. Neo is like the 11th the one sure. or whatever like that and brand is like maybe it's like some weird like time more but like there's all of these brands that, and, that is a theory and all of this stuff so i don't know but then there's also just the fact that george r martin was like uh yes they're all named brand because uh it's uh history yeah so then he kind of just rolled with that i mean it is true you look back it it's is like true every third king of france is named charles it just like goes back and back and back or england rather and he has established that he likes to dig into history and kind of yeah, cherry pick it. certain things and put it you know stitch this into his little quilt of history i mean this history in particular and i'm just you might find this horribly boring but i i think it's interesting we, we get into, like, the prehistory of Westeros here, where mm. Bran and Maester mm. Lewin explains about the children of the forest yeah. in kind of a goofy setup, where he's like, tell me about the children of the forest. And he's like, okay, here's a page and a half of what <laughs> they did. Um, children of the forest are these, like, magical creatures who live here before men were here, and the first men kicked them out or went to war with them. Then the Andals came, and then they invaded the first men. And that does roughly correlate to, you know, the Celts being the first men yeah. who came to England over a land bridge long ass time ago. That's good, yeah. And then the Anglo-Saxons being the Andals mm -hmm. who came over on boats um, you know, after the first millennia. So the history of Westeros does metaphorically match up with the history of England. Now, is what I'm saying incredibly boring or is this interesting? No, it's interesting. The most interesting part is George R. R. Martin's not English. Right. I mean, he's not. He's clearly an Anglophile. Like, holy <laughs> but he's God. Anglophile. Yeah. So, it's yeah. You know, that's interesting because there is all of these. I mean, we've talked about it in chapters before about it intersecting with <laughs> certain, like the Kennedy assassination and things like that. So the idea that he's kind of purposefully aligned his story with, mm -hmm. and it is a very medieval feeling story. Right. Like when it, the, and I mean, that stuff is purposeful. I, I, yeah. I want to underline that. Like the Kennedy assassination thing I'm thinking is coincidental, but uh, this whole trying to make the first one like the Celts and the Andals are like the Anglo-Saxon. The children of the forest are kind of like the native Druid Britain people mm -hmm. who are all like, you know, mystical and Stonehenge and crap. Yeah, because when the show first came out, I mean, and I imagine the books maybe were the same way, but mm -hmm. a lot of people that I knew thought it was going to be kind of like this historical medieval, not necessarily a true story, but like grounded right. in reality set in a certain like ancient English time, which it kind of has that feel to it. And it also has a kind of like from dusk till dawn feel where it's like, you think huh. it's like a fantasy movie up until the point where it stops being that and becomes a, you know, yeah. Or you think it's not going to be We're right. I yeah. But that, they get that out of the way right away with the white walkers in the first they chapter did. in the first like 10 minutes of the show but we did have such that a cool choice to like back when you think about it that uh they were there and then they haven't shown up since mm -hmm. that, that, that was an interesting choice in, in yeah. retrospect i mean part of the other reason he, he does all this history building stuff is because he wants to give the sense that westeros is this very lived in yep. place that has a long history mm -hmm. and and that kind of makes it I think that's like catnip for nerds. Oh, yeah. Like, in a way. Like, oh, certainly okay. me. Like, when I was growing up and reading Lord of the Rings, like, the mm -hmm. part of the reason it, it felt so much more 
vital and robust than other stories because it had this history that I didn't, you, know, you, 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 you don't have to explore it, mm-hmm. but the fact that it's there makes it feel like more of just a, a full experience. Yeah. And that's what he's going for here by all this exposition, I think. Yeah, and I think he's also thinking about an expanded universe. Not in the same sense that we think about it now where every single time we see a superhero yeah. movie, we're like, oh, they're ex- they want an expanded universe. But like yeah, you mentioned, yeah, well, he obviously was a fan of fantasy too. So he read oh, those completely. Lord of the Rings. And so he's kind of into that. There's more going on here than just the story. And then like I grew up on the, literally it's called the expanded universe, the Star Wars novels that oh, take yeah. the movies and it goes far beyond and it goes to the future and it goes back in time thousands and thousands of years and now you see that all over the place where you have wikipedia pages that are dedicated to these very specific fandoms that go back thousands of years and go ahead to like the end of the universe and like like complexity is an asset yeah so i i really kind of like how he's it's not so much that george r R. martin like thought about that i think it's more or less he was a product of yeah that's the fantasy but then he fully embraced that's like that's that's what he loves like that's Mm -hmm. what he's into yeah do it and, and he didn't know back when he was writing this that it would be, like, the thing. Oh, no. <laughs> to, like, be in vogue and do that kind of thing. Because you're right. Now everybody's trying to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So beyond the exposition, some, a couple things did happen in this chapter. Not a lot, but some. Um, so they go down to the crypts. Maester Lewin, saintly Maester Lewin, Bran, and Osha, <laughs> who's filling in for Hodor. Because Hodor won't go down to the crypts. He's yep. too scared. Mm-hmm. Which Cuddly Hodor. Is big, big sort of like... Bear. Yeah, big, big old teddy bear. It's it's kind of like because there 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 were a couple of horror tropes here. Like a, you have like the like in the horror film, like the dog like won't mm-hmm. pass a threshold because <laughs> it's like oh he knows something. Yeah. No, they have a sixth sense. Like Hodor's the dog in this situation, where he won't go down into the crypts, and also the direwolves don't want to, but they do. Mm-hmm. And then there's this passage where they get down and they arrive at Ned's crypt, and Maester Lewin's like, "See you, idiot. There's nothing there." Mm-hmm. And then um. The line is like, the darkness lunged at him. It was very intense. <laughs> and Shaggy Dog, Rickon's direwolf, is there. And uh, he just tears into them. And uh, in the light of the guttering torch, shadow wolves 20 feet tall fought on the wall and roof. And Rickon's kind of down there. I think another horror trope, like the creepy kid. Yep. Who's like, father was dead. I came down here to see him. <laughs> and he has like this rabid dog with blood dripping from his mouth there just mm. in there like of course I'll be down here father's gone he came to me in a dream and Maester Lewin's like okay a little weird <laughs> saintly which <laughs> Maester Lewin I, 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 I thought that was also very kind of hoary it's what I got like a shining vibe from that kind of thing yeah I got and it it was an intense scene all around yeah I definitely got the the horror vibes from that too it reminded mm-hmm. me of that chapter with John where it ended with the white kind of jumping on him and he's trying to yeah. choke it. And like the description of like the fingers going down his throat. Oh gosh, is, I remember that. That was kind of a horse. So it's kind of like, I do enjoy how this is. And kind of like, again, what we were just saying about the show is a fantasy show that you don't think is a fantasy show initially. Mm-hmm. This just kind of weave Bob and weave between different genres while still being a fantasy book. Yeah, it's very much a fantasy coherent. world. Yeah. He's, he splices in like, you know, almost like romance novel descriptions of oh, characters. Totally. And then he goes all the way to like Stephen King, The Shining horror stuff. So I really do like how it kind of bounces back and forth between all of these things and isn't just one thing. So I can see why this was, why, you know, we talk about, we just talked about how he didn't know it was going to be a thing, this expanded universe. But right. I can see why somebody would read this, like an executive would read this and be like, holy crap, like this is, this is what we need. 
Julie says, the crypts were more creepy in the books. Loved the descriptions. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Contrast them. They were very, very creepy. They were effective. Like, you, felt uh, you felt the crypts. They're a lot bigger, I feel mm -hmm. like, in the books. It just, everything's bigger in the books. Just impossibly bigger, really. Yeah. Like, you could possibly do it on screen. Mm -hmm. But it, 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 it does work. And yeah, that was, that was a good scene. And then, of course, at the end, the creepy psychic dream boys are correct. Yeah. Ned was dead. <laughs> and that's kind of the climax where they find out Ned's dead. Yep. Which is, I mean, obviously that's what we're going to deal with. This is literally the aftermath of Ned Stark's death. Mm -hmm. We dealt with it kind of metaphorically with the dreams and the backstory. Now we dealt literally with the raven, hey, he's dead, we need to make it up. Yep. And uh, Maester Lewin, it's going to be weird for him, right? He's like this guy who's like, like his job in this chapter is to say, magic's gone, children of the forest are gone, mm -hmm. dreams are just dreams, you stupid weird kids, nothing's real, <laughs> it's all just science. And then he, at the end, the is like, oh no, you guys were right, <laughs> and he is dead um, I'm gonna have to adjust my parameters a little bit. Yeah, I like him a lot. I'm I, I'm enjoying Mr. Lewin on this read. I'm big on Mr. More, Mr. Lewin more than I too. thought. He's a hero. Yeah. <laughs> that's a that's about it. It wasn't a hugely eventful chapter, but yeah. um, dense as always. Yeah, and it was descriptive. Like it was you know, aside from the exposition, but we were just mm -hmm. talking about the crypts. Like you feel the isolation of being in just such a large setting, which is again, I, I you said it spot on you can't get that on the show like i mean imagine you could somehow like green screen like very small actors in a very big room <laughs> but just the way that he engulfs you in this the descriptions of the the crypt yeah it's cold like it's just a very you feel where you are and that's I, it was very effective yeah it was good stuff any other thoughts josh on brand seven no all right, then I think we can uh, sign off next week and come back with Sansa 6, All right. where Joffrey makes Sansa look at her dead father's head, ah. which is a good one, I thought. I, 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 I recall enjoying that one. I mean, not enjoying, just yeah. whatever. That's uh, not on the uh, dating textbook. They, they cut that chapter out. <laughs> Don't use that as a date. Exactly. Thanks for, thanks for joining us, everybody. <laughs> I'm here at Take the Black Live. Thanks for putting up with my um, technical difficulties at the beginning. Uh, remember, Brewery Am Gang, thanks for the Mother of Dragons blended ale. Happy trails to the person who won the costume contest, and we'll see you next week, Wednesday, 4 p.m., for more Take the Black Live, more Song of Dan and Josh. Uh, see you then. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.